I think the big thing that would separate most all web designers from everyone else is to be results focused. And you could take this in a lot of different ways, but what I've found is when you are talking to a potential client or on the words on your website, don't just talk about your design services and how they look so pretty and, you know, are good representations of their brand. Those are important. But if you talk about getting results for them and talk about their customers, your potential client is going to view you completely different than everybody else. Welcome to the Profitable Graphic Designer Podcast. I'm Katie Sandel, brand strategist, designer, and the CEO of a successful six-figure design agency. I teach brand, graphic, and web designers how to get more clients, increase their pricing, and build profitable design businesses in a simple and sustainable way. We have online programs, courses, and templates that you can use, as well as our coaching and mastermind high-touch experience for creatives. You can find out more about starting and growing your design business at AventiveAcademy.com. But until then, grab a cup of coffee and join me in today's podcast episode. Well, hello and welcome. I'm so happy to have you here on the show. Last time when we talked, it was on your podcast, the web design business podcast, uh, and we had a great time. But before we start, I would like to ask you if you could introduce yourself, just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and maybe who you help. First off, Katie, yes, we did have a great time. In fact, I chose to kick off 2023 with your episode because I thought it was just like so timely for web designers to figure out how to market their business and how to get clients and niching and all the different things that are hot button topics right now that you covered. So I was very, very excited to have you on and hopefully I can return the favor for you, for your show as well here for everybody. So yeah, right now my title is effectively a web design business coach. So I'm helping people build six figure web design businesses. What's, what's interesting about kind of where I am in the market and where I am with my niche is that I'm in between freelancers and agencies. So a lot of other coaches in the space will cater towards like web design agencies, but I actually have found that the term agency has a bit of a negative connotation for a lot of clients. So I've kind of found my sweet spot in the solopreneurs who are just starting to scale and, and grow like six to like low six figure uh, web design businesses. So that's kind of where I'm, I'm, I'm helping a lot of people right now, although I love helping people get started too, which I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah, actually, now when you mentioned six figure, I have a pod like an under question, which would be, do you think that the market is saturated when it comes to like six figures? I feel like a lot of coaches are, oh, I'm going to help you get the six figures, six figures. It's always that number six figures. Like, how do you position yourself to stand out from that? I don't really say it 
too much. It's more in like the fine print or maybe a, a subtitle. Like that's why it's not the six figure web design business podcast. It's just web design business because a lot of my students are getting to the 50 to 75 range, but a big portion of my students are getting to six figures and now multi six figures. I don't coach anyone that I know of that's in seven figures because a seven figure business is a whole different ball game. It's also a different mindset of person. I feel like, and quite frankly, I didn't get to seven figures, so I don't feel qualified to do that, but I also didn't want to. Like, I didn't want to have overhead. I didn't want to have extra headaches. I didn't necessarily want to have full-time staff. I was fine with like a quarter million dollar business, which I think most everyone can very reasonably get to nowadays. And that's usually enough to sustain an awesome lifestyle and maybe have a couple team members if you want. But I found that once you get to a quarter million, if you want to get to like multi six figures, three, four, five hundred thousand, there's usually just a few tweaks you need to make. To, to scale up. So I know, yeah, I think we're serving similar type of, of people, but there's also the people that we hope to help get to that point. And we also want to hold people back. And like if one of my students wants to go to a million plus and seven figures, awesome. Like you can use what got you here to get you there. That's kind of where I, where I go for it. And I think standing out, it just depends on your personality and your vibe attracts your tribe. I found that to be true when it comes to getting the right type of people into my programs. So yeah, that's kind of how I go about it. Yeah, definitely. Can you just tell us a little bit, like, how did it all start? Like, what is your background? Like, have you always been in the web design industry or that's something that happened along the way? It started in a dusty bathroom floor in the cabinet maker shop that I worked at. So no, I did not start in web design. I am not an academic kind of person. In fact, the irony is that I got a D in typing in high school. I was terrible with computers, terrible at typing, was daunted by technology and Photoshop and all those things. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. When I was in high school, I was working at this cabinet maker shop and I was also a drummer in a rock band. So I was kind of drummer by night, cabinet maker by day. And then I got laid off from my cabinet making job in 2009. But I was pretty heavily into the band world. We were traveling all around the States. And I had had an interest in Photoshop at that point. I was like, I really enjoy art and design and creativity. So I figured I'm laid off. I've got some extra time on my hands. My band needs artwork and we need t-shirt designs and stuff. So I just learned Photoshop and started creating artwork for my band. And then my light bulb moment when I got into the industry was when somebody at a festival asked me how much I would charge to design their artwork. And I was like, oh, holy cow. <laughs> I can make money doing something I actually enjoy. That was my light bulb moment that got me initially into graphic design. And then eventually I worked my way into web design. Okay. And then how did you, so, so when it comes to design, did you also have to learn the development? Because I feel that these days it's, it's kind of like blending in. It's like very merging. We do have web designers that we go to and we have web developers that we go to. But when it comes to clients, they just need a website. So before I ask you about some strategies for like growing a web design business, I want to ask you if a web designer needs to know how to code. Too. Good news. Nowadays, no. Now, I do think it at some point, it's very, very helpful to know at least some CSS because you'll be able to style sites at a, at a higher level. But nowadays, like I'm a Divi guy. I love Divi and WordPress. You 100% do not need to know code. And there's usually enough tutorials online to where you can fill in the gaps or do something 
special or partner up with somebody who is good at that to help you out. So good news is no, I, I definitely think that designers have an easier time or at least an easier barrier of entry now compared to maybe when you and I got into it. I think we got into it around the same time. I got into website design in 2010 and so it was Dreamweaver which mm -hmm. like it was right before WordPress really took off and page builders and stuff. So it was HTML, CSS. Yes. And mm -hmm. because I came from a graphic design background, I almost quit web design. I was almost like, I don't think this is for me, but I did find a couple tutorials on YouTube, which perhaps is what planted the seed for me to teach. Eventually I found a couple tutorials that made it seem pretty simple. And then I did it. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, I just made a web page, uh, like talking like 2010. And then I was like, okay, I could do this. And then I got into WordPress and then I discovered page builders and Divi. And then, then it was all, it was off to the races after that. Yeah. I prefer Beaver builder, not over Divi, like just in general, I feel like I just, you know, like I, I just like suck to that because that's something that I love. It helps a lot. It's I mean, it's like a drag and drop, <laughs> uh, but still it has a lot of flexibility and it's growing. So and yeah, and there's also Elementor, right? Yeah, Elementor is a big one. So my students, because I came from the Divi community, I'm I still get attract mostly Divi people. But there's a large percent of my students who are using Beaver Builder or Elementor, Oxygen, What's the uh, builder blocks? I forget what the new, there's a new one out right now that's catching a mm -hmm. lot of fire. But it, look, you, you said it, Katie, it doesn't matter what you use. It's whatever gets you the result for your clients. So whatever you feel comfortable with, that's the biggie. If I can give anyone any tips on choosing the right builder, I would say, aside from the builder itself, to make sure you like it, look at two other things. Look at the company that creates the builder because... If you use Elementor, for example, just remember you are following whatever the company is doing. So if the company is like uh, a company that has a board and is, you know, in the stock exchange or something, it's probably going to eventually get bought out or they're going to change ownership. There, there's a lot of those things that you got to watch out for. So you got to trust the company. And then I would also recommend looking for community. Like what's the community behind this, this tool, because you want to have a supportive support system behind you. So you don't go it alone. That's one reason I love WordPress and Divi. They both have amazing communities. Yes. And then you can always ask questions and so on. So yeah. 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 I think that um, Beaver Builder has really good community as well. And they also have really good support when I go to their website. If something, if I can't figure something out, you know, we would just like email them. But okay, so to go back to how did you how did you go then from there? So people ask you if you if they can pay you for your work, but how did you grow from there? Did you then just decide to go like fully into that? Or did you start looking for a job? Or like, what was the next step? Yeah, my initially my intention was to get a job as a designer slash web designer because I was doing graphic design for bands and then eventually I started doing graphic design for like real companies and eventually that led me into web design. More and more people were asking me about web stuff and I was helping out at a church back in those days and they just flat out said, hey, we don't have anyone doing our website. We know you're doing graphic design. Would you take our website over? We'll pay for some community college classes. And that's where I learned Dreamweaver and stuff. So that was how I literally kind of merged the world of graphic design and web design. 
And then I just started getting kind of odd jobs here and there as people started to know that I did design services. My first official hooray into like advertising, I think similar to you, was I did a Craigslist ad. And yeah. I got like nine out of 10 spam emails, but actually did land a couple legitimate clients uh, back in those days. I mean, this was 2010. I don't know what it looks like now, but back then, that's how I got a first a couple of real clients. And then as I was getting into more night school classes, I decided I'm going to join this program called Digital Design and Graphics. I learned Illustrator, InDesign, some photography stuff. And then my whole plan was to be a graphic designer slash web designer and get a job, like I said. However, as I started doing more freelance, one thing led to another. My clients started to refer me. I started to get known as a designer. And then I think it was 2000. 12 that I made about $30,000. And as I was finishing up this night school program, I was like, I could look for a job and probably find a job for $30,000. Or I could just go for this. And if I really went for it, no more school, no more working odd jobs, I bet I could make like at least 50,000. And that's exactly what I did. I just went for it and just try. I really didn't have anything to lose. I was living with my dad at the time. So I didn't have a mortgage, didn't have a family, didn't have a relationship at that point. And I didn't have anything to lose. So I went for it. And luckily it just went up and to the right from there as far as the numbers go. Yeah, I love that. That I mean, that's how, you know, it was very similar, as you mentioned. I was also on Craigslist, didn't have anything to lose. Like, yeah, I was already living on my own. I actually had a bunch of roommates. But what is the worst that can happen? I can just go back to either look for a job or I can just go back to live with my parents. Hopefully they would accept me. <laughs> that and I mean, like, practically, let's say just... For, for this example, let's say it didn't work out for some reason. It always does typically. But let's say I just did not make enough money to make ends meet. If I were to go to a graphic design place or an agency and say, well, I've done freelance for six months. Now I'm learning sales and proposals and project management and communication. Those are so much more valuable than going to school and trying to learn about that stuff. So if you get any real world experience, that can take you so many places wherever you want to go. So... Uh, yeah, I didn't need to go that route, but even if it had failed, I certainly probably could have got a pretty good position based off of what I learned doing freelance for six months to a year. Yeah. So, so the Craigslist doesn't exist anymore. I mean, it does exist, but I don't know like how successful uh, that would be for web designers if they're trying to post on Craigslist, because now we have social media, like Instagram, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. all the, uh, all the other platforms. Can you share some strategies of what you think uh, based on your experience and what your stu students are doing, like for building and scaling like a successful design business? How do they, what, how would they find clients? How would they go about that? There's definitely different phases of that. Like, there's a big difference between somebody getting clients when they have no clients and they're just starting out versus somebody who's been doing it for a couple of years and they just want to get better clients and more clients. So I'll start with the former. First things first, I'm going to give you all the cliches because they're 100% true. First of all, you start with your personal network. Like 
just because your Aunt Jane is not going to be your ideal client, it doesn't mean that Aunt Jane doesn't know a bunch of people that may end up being really good clients for you. So uh, apart from the, the, the one ad I did in Craigslist, I was telling people in my personal and professional network that I was doing web design now in particular. And some of those people ended up hiring me in, in some regard, not all big projects, but some did. But again, it was more about who they knew. And for example, one of my first clients was the recording studio that my band recorded at. These guys were awesome. And because they owned their own studio, that means that they were business savvy. Because if they're going to keep the lights on in the recording studio, they got to have a mind for business. So I remember walking up and down basically my town's main street going into businesses and saying, I'm Josh, I do a website design and graphic design. If I can help you out, I'd love to. I went into their studio. I hadn't seen them in a couple of years and I let them know, you know, the band's kind of winding down. I'm doing uh, web design now. And they hired me to build out their website. And that was one of my first like really good projects. And they knew a ton of other people because there's a lot of bands that record there. And a lot of the bands are just you know, weekend warriors, a lot of them who have businesses. So that was just one example of how I started with my professional network, my personal network. And it wasn't necessarily about them, but it was about who they know, because that's how it all expands and extends. So that's how I started. And that's generally what I recommend is personal, professional, and then, then we can get a little more strategic and tactile into the socials and then the different avenues. I will say if I can add one more, the other big thing is like in-person networking, which I know not everyone loves, but the reality is it's so much harder to build an online presence and to get known and trusted like that as a service provider. You're so much better off going to a networking group or like a BNI meeting or something like that, where there's like 20 people there and you see face to face and you get to know people. That's generally going to be a, a much quicker ROI than yeah, the definitely. online route. Definitely. And if someone is in a location where they can't go to a networking event, they can still connect with people on LinkedIn and then maybe schedule a Zoom call or something like that. Yeah. But I think that the, that personal connection is very important over, oh, I'm going to just post a carousel on Instagram. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, in, in rural, so if you're in a rural area, if you're in a place where there's not many clients, yeah, the next best step is to find them online, wherever they hang out. Now, in some cases, there may be business categories that are like state or region dependent. So there's so many options between LinkedIn and meetups and all sorts of business organizations. You can also, I don't know if BNI is like this, but there's a lot of like networking that you can do 100% virtual, which after COVID is more and pop more popular than ever. So there's actually more opportunity to get online no matter where you are in the world and get clients that way. It would just be a matter of, yeah, finding like somewhat of an ideal client or an ideal fit for you and your business. And I do want to say when it comes to any networking in person or online, I went to a lot of networking groups that were not a good fit for me. I happened to find one locally that had a couple people that were really solid. And I was a part of like helping grow that group. And then eventually we had 20 to 30 people every week. And that was like 50% of my income stemmed from that group and the people they all knew because they were all professionals. So worst case scenario, if you don't find a perfect group, make one and bring some people together. Easier said than done, I know, but that's also a really valuable way to go, which anyone can do online now. 
In fact, one of my web design students did this. She started this like location-based group. She lives in um, Newfoundland, Canada. She started this like women's entrepreneurial group that was location-based. You had to be in Newfoundland or Newfoundland. And she grew this Facebook group and that's where like 70% of her clients came. So a lot of different options for getting started and taking it to the next level with getting clients. Yeah, so when someone is looking to start their design business, they should really connect with as many people as possible and kind of like go from there because you never know where ideal clients or any clients doesn't have to be ideal at the beginning is going to come from. But when it comes to scaling, I know you mentioned that most of your students are already at like 50,000, 70,000. They're trying to get to six figures or maybe even like 200,000. But like, how do they go about growing? So now they already have some clients. They already have systems in place. They know what they're doing. How do they get to the next level? I should say, I mean, I would say actually probably a bulk of my students are in the under 50 range. Like they're going from 10 to 20, 30, 40, 50. So I still serve a lot of students in that realm where it's like side hustles or getting started. And yeah, there's a lot of different growth strategies, but I guess if the question is like how to grow to make it a little more sustainable or to to like a full-time income, A lot of it is like you said, Katie, you got to work with a lot of different people and just get your name out there. However you can do it. Because if you, and one of my students said this last year, I'll never forget it. He was like, he needed a push to get out there and just let people know what he was doing. He was like, Josh, if you had never given me that push, I would have never done this. And it's hard sometimes in the beginning, but you have got to let people know you're doing this and you don't have to be pushy or salesy about it. Luckily, nowadays you can educate and serve over selling, which is awesome. But yeah, you got to let people know however that looks like all the strategies we, strategies we just talked about, because that's going to be your client pipeline. Like you can work on all the systems and processes you want, but if people don't know you're doing what you're doing, you're not going to get a client. So all those things are important. But what I would say is like build out your client pool as much as you can. Just meet a lot of people. You will get a feel for who you like working with, whether it's industry or category or personality type. And then the next step, yes, is like the systems. Like look at your services. One of the biggest tips for growing in the first phase of the journey that I learned is you've got to literally write out your services on like a spreadsheet and see if you can actually hit your goal. For example, I wanted to eventually get to six figures, $100,000 in a year, but I was still charging like $1,000 and $1,500 per website. So let's make this practical. (laughs) If I charge $1,000, how many websites do I need to get to get to $100,000? 100 websites that year. That is way too many projects. That's way too many websites. Even if I had a template style approach, that's just too much. It's unless still I had a team. too much. Yeah. So then yes. it's like, okay, I need to get to like two, three, four thousand. And then what can I do in my services to make it worth that and valuable enough for, for clients, which web designers are way more valuable than we give ourselves credit for. So I know you have resources. That's why I do courses. Like we have these in place to help people get to the three, four 5,000 range pretty quick, because I guarantee everyone listening to this is worth probably two or three times more than you think you are. So if I can give a motivational tip for everybody, it's to pause this and go raise your rates 
right now, even if it's just a little bit from like 1500 to 2000, raise them a little bit and I'll give you some confidence to go to the next level. You just, you got to make sure literally your business is set up to, to grow because most people, that's the problem. They literally, the only way they can grow is if they work 90 hours a week. So that's, that's the big tip here is to avoid that. Exactly. Cause I remember, like, I don't remember what year this was, but I remember it was January. I hit 10 K. I was at 9,600, but I call it 10 K. So enough. I like hit. Yeah, exactly. So I call it like, so yeah, I hit 10 K and I was like so happy and proud. And then I, and then I was like, but is this really life? I was charging $480 for logo design. <laughs> So I had to design more than like, what is that? Like 20 logos that yeah. month. I, I, you know, it was literally a day when I realized, okay, I literally went to bed at 8 a.m. and woke up at noon. So I had four hours to sleep, which is like in the middle of a day or morning to be able to, to hit the goal. So then I was like, okay, something has to change. And the next year from 480, it doesn't have to be like, that, that people need to raise their rates like dramatically or drastically. Mm-hmm. It was from 480 going to 960. I mean, that was, you know, doubling, but still not even close to charging enough. And then from there, I realized that I am actually working less, making the same amount of money because a lot of people said no to to that, you know, at that time. But it doesn't matter because then I had more time to figure out where my next projects are going to come from and to focus on better marketing, advertising, and promoting my design business. Yeah, it's really easy to create a business that's set up to fail or that's set up to make you work 100 hour weeks, which is not sustainable. Now there are seasons of hustling and and I'm a very lifestyle entrepreneur, like chill entrepreneur. I, I work fairly modest hours, but there are seasons where, yeah, you, you need to hustle a little bit in the beginning of a business, you're going to be doing a little more work, but you got to make sure you do not put yourself into a box where you're doing those long, unsustainable hours and work days. Cause it doesn't take long for that to, to catch up to you, no matter what age you are, no matter what your life situation is. And I will say this about pricing. This is a really, really important thing. I wish somebody would have shared with me early on. And that is that not everyone has the same mindset as you with pricing. Like what was really expensive to me, some of these businesses would have gladly paid for without even thinking about it. Like, Or they would even say, oh, you're too cheap. You're not sure if we should trust you. <laughs> that has probably happened to me a bazillion times over. In fact, I remember losing out on a job that I really wanted. I bid, I think it was like around 2000 for this was when I was like, holy cow, $2,000. And they passed me up and went with somebody that did it for $8,000. Probably because of that, just what you mentioned, Katie, they were probably like, oh, I don't know if Josh knows the scope of this project or is going to be worth valuable enough for us. We want to go with somebody that's going to get us results. So yes, low pricing, not only is it detrimental to you and your sanity and your, your work and everything, but it also prevents really good clients often. Like you're usually attracting the bottom of the barrel with bottom of the barrel prices. Now I understand everyone needs to start somewhere, but again, if you go through any sort of proper courses or training, yours, mine, whatever, that empower you to be at like a two, three, four, five thousand dollar range. Go through those and then charge those those rates immediately because you're going to be worth those. And just remember, what is expensive to you is not expensive to somebody else. Again, I remember like three thousand dollars seemed outrageous for a website. Now 
I would, wouldn't even start at $3,000 like that. You know, like if, if a business is going to make tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars off of a website over the period of a few years, then that website is worth tens of thousands of dollars at least. I love that you mentioned that because I wanted to ask you about value-based pricing. Like how, how are designers going to determine the, the pricing for their clients? Is it based on how many pages they have or what, what is it? Like, how do they know how much they should charge? Because it's, I, I feel like it's very hard, even like for my students uh, at the Eventive Academy, it's very hard to figure out how much they should charge for a logo, a flyer, visual identity. Does that depend on a client? Does it depend on how many designs you uh, deliver or provide as options? Like, so do you suggest that designers should use value-based pricing and how would they go around about that? Yes, I do recommend value-based pricing, but with a caveat, I what worked for me, and this I can only say what worked for me, is to do it in ranges. And the big, oh my gosh, the big like takeaway from this is that you never have boxed-in pricing that is like, I do websites for 2500 Because as you know, Katie, website projects different than branding and graphic design I found because you can generally systematize and productize those a lot easier. Web design projects are so very different from client to client. However, in my experience, what everyone will find out as you, as you keep on going is most all of your projects will generally be in like similar categories. For me, I'm a big fan of threes. So I had like small, medium, large. And so what I did is use value-based pricing within those buckets, within those categories. But you never, never want to box yourself in and say, I do websites for 2,500 because that's going to put you in a place where you're going to have to like try to wiggle every project into that box and then your client's going to want more expectations are going to be shattered. The, the, uh, the big workaround for that is just to say starting at, so all of your pricing tiers starting at and have them in like ranges have, you know, the small, you could get creative with the names of these, but what I found that worked for me and what a lot of my students are, are doing is to have these ranges starting at, and then if a client, like let's, so for example, let's say the starting range is 2,500 middle range is like 5,000 top range is 10,000. For example, these are generally the starting points. These are the price points of like the, the bulk of my students, particularly in the first five years or so. Then if somebody comes in at $2,000 and they're like, Ooh, I have a, you know, I was thinking like a couple grand. So maybe we could do the first one, 10,000, no way. But it's nice to see that, you know, Josh and his team are valuable for that. So let's go with the first tier. They can always upgrade and graduate to that. Similarly, the clients who are really good, who are willing to pay 10, 15, 20 K, you don't necessarily want them to you don't want to like box them in a $2,000 package. So you can just say like, oh, yep, we have our top tier for you. We'll get a little more custom, a little more robust. It's going to be a bigger scope. You're in our top tier. These start at 10000 Then we'll customize it from there and use value-based pricing depending on the project. So I hope that's a good answer for like how to use value-based pricing, but get around the, the pricing challenges. It is, it is. It's definitely what I've seen from my students who are more, more like um, graphic designers, not just web designers, but what they would do, they would have also like three different tiers. The first one is, I don't know, just visual identity. The second one is visual identity plus labels, packaging, mm. stationery. And then the third one would include a website. And then from there, at least they would schedule a call and then figure out 
what is that that the client is looking for? If uh, the client is already an established business looking to rebrand, how many people are going to be involved in the project, which is very important because a website for one person and a website for 10 person's theme is not the same. Or, <laughs> or not same worth website. it. <laughs> it's not worth it. <laughs> I used to exactly. say no more than two. Any more than two is rough. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or, well, it can be even more, but only like one or two can be decision makers. So yeah, they can right. Have their, I mean. yeah. If they can have their meeting and whatever, and then come and talk to me, I want to talk with one person. Yes, great. Please. Well, yeah, point of, <laughs> point of contacts, no more than two. Yeah, you do yes. not want to, oh my gosh, flashback, PTSD moment to go into several meetings and having like 10 people there and everyone's giving their input. And I'm like, number one, this is like a hundred times more complicated now. Number two, we didn't sign off on any of this. So I don't even know what to do. And there's no one in charge. There's like no hierarchy. So who's going to decide this? So yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it has happened to me as well. I remember it was just, I mean, when I say just, it was just four people, but it was chaotic because then they started not like arguing, but like talking to each other. Oh, I think it should be orange. I think it should be. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's go back to the psychology of colors. Let's, you know, have some like... Yeah. Also, so. <laughs> you, you guys have that meeting and then come to me with the point of contact. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, one thing that you mentioned is, so we were talking about when web designers are starting their business, what they're going to do when they're looking for clients. And then you mentioned that at some point they will be able to kind of, you didn't, you didn't say, the, you didn't use these words like pick and choose, but then they will be able to get to know the clients they want to work with. Did you mean that they should like specialize in something or focus on something like finding the ideal clients or what what did you want to say? So I'm going to recommend for a deeper dive onto that subject, go to the Web Design Business Podcast and listen to Katie's interview because you really talked about this and did a really good job of laying out how to do this practically, I would say. So... Um, look at what number was that? That was 235, episode 235 of the Web Design Business Podcast. We dive into this in a little more detail from your perspective, Katie. I pretty much back up everything you said. Like you can go, the, the term now is niching or niching. Typically, when you think about going like niching down on something, it's generally like I'm going to build websites for salons or dentists or whatever. And you You can do that. My issue with that is that unless it's a really good category that you absolutely love and you know really well, you're going to box yourself into one category and it's probably going to get really boring. Like I don't know anyone who wakes up and is like, I'm building template sites for dentists. (laughs) I love my work. It's, you know, like what you, what you can do though, is you can niche in a lot of different ways nowadays. You don't even have to niche by category. You can niche by like, your well, offer. you could do it by project type. You could do personality type. You don't need to niche by like certain industries. I mean, again, you can, but what I did is I always said that I work with small and medium-sized businesses. That's what I learned. I took a very broad niching approach to my business, which meant that just by saying small to medium-sized businesses, it got me out of the startup people and the people who had like $200 to get started But it also did not take me into the big, large business realm where I was like, I am not suited to work for a company that has, you know, a thousand people and board of directors. That's just, you know, they need an agency kind of thing. So that really helped me as far as like niching. Now, I was a generalist and there's pros and cons, again, to niching down. 
But I enjoyed being a generalist because I got to work with like one of my favorite jobs was a steel company that I worked with. One of my other favorite jobs was a retina surgeon. I would have never been able to work with these two very different industries going niche. Although you can do category, like like category style niching if you wanted to. You could say like, I'll work with everyone, but most of our projects are in, like you had mentioned, skincare in the episode when we talked about that or something like that, that opens up or like barbershops or I say barbershops because I worked with a lot of barbershops for a little while. I got into a weird niche of home inspectors for a while. I did one that led to another that led to another led to another. So I was kind of doing like home inspector sites for a period of a couple of years. But yeah, that's kind of how I learned to find who was a good fit for me, but it was not about industry. It was about more like the, 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 um, the type of people running it, the size of business, that kind of thing. Yeah, because what one of the things that helped me grow my business the most was specializing and not in a way where I put myself in a box, but it was in a way where I do really wake up every morning. I love working with these type of businesses. So I decided and it wasn't based on like how much money they're making. It wasn't I mean, that was a thing that I had to consider, but it was more about who I would like really, really want to work with, like what type of clients I want to have. And as mentioned on your podcast, so whoever is listening to this, if you want to know more about it, uh, go to that uh, podcast episode. But it was all about like narrowing to the levels that I feel comfortable and something that really, truly makes me like passionate about working with those type of clients. Because I, But also, I think that if you're just starting your business, you do need to try different things and see what yeah. is that that you're going to love. Because I would never know what I, I... I don't think that I would know what I what I enjoy the most unless I worked with all these previous, you know, clients, which was like real estate agencies, construction companies, which now I'm like, no, I, I don't even want to see another construction company asking me for a logo with a house. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's, it's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Try a bunch of like a bunch of different styles and yeah, see what projects you work well with. Like I really enjoy, I actually enjoyed the blue collar clients that I got because at my price points at like five to 10,000, they were serious rather than like, oh, you know, some like blue collar guy who's like 300 bucks for a website. What? So like I ended up finding really good people in that, that industry. But again, I didn't limit myself to just doing the construction site. So it was a, a plethora of different styles, again, pros and cons to either, either way. But it's interesting. Like I have a really close colleague. He's the owner of a site called Swift sites and he just does websites for online coaches. He has a productize, systematize building process that is just for online coaches. I have a student who I should say he is like a, he's more of a business owner and an entrepreneur. So it's not about the category of sites as much as him as about, it is like creating a, a systematized product. I have a student though, who interestingly enough in her verbiage, she attracts clients who quote, wanted to steal their essence in a website. So as you can imagine, it's mostly all female. Like she gets mostly women clients and right away, they may be in different industries, but it's going to be somebody who is like serious about getting their message and their vision and probably their personality and their like energy online into their brand. So that's going to attract like that verbiage right there. I help people who want to distill their essence into their website that's going to be way different than Bob's construction company who just wants to have a site. You know what I mean? Like that's literally how you could 
go niche without going niche by an industry, by just the verbiage and just the copy you have on your website. Exactly. And also, if you mentioned that you're working on, that you're helping your clients redesign, then you are already out of that startup phase because then people mm. are, you know, like as soon as yeah. they see like word, oh, redesign. Okay. That means they already have to have something. And I've had That's that in the past where we would use, and we are still using on our agency's website, we help you with you know, rebranding or branding, but it's always somehow and somewhere they can see that word rebrand. That means that they, they have to be in the business already because then we know that they have the money. But we also do have the minimum pricing on our contact form that you mentioned for uh, like for your web design students, how they have like three different tiers and so on. But I think that, you know, it, it all helps. Yeah. Great point. Re, like redesigning, re, excuse me, redesigning a website versus building one from the ground up to very different projects. Also pros and cons to both projects, because sometimes it is nice to have content that's already there and redo it. Sometimes it's nice to start from the ground up and just make it your way and really make it good without a client wanting to pull in their terrible photography from the first website into your new design. So yeah, pros and cons to that, but definitely like different quoting process, different scope. Generally, I've found that if you're going to do a website from the ground up, there's probably going to be a mixture of like branding elements and stuff too. I, I mean, for me as a web designer, like nine out of 10 projects were redesigns, but occasionally there was the ground up ones. But again, those are, are generally going to be way more time intensive because they have no idea what they're looking for or thinking about. So yeah, account for that for sure. For it's sure. funny that you mentioned content because that's literally what I just wrote down as it came to my mind to ask you, <laughs> who is responsible for working on content? Is that something that a web designer should help with? I mean, at the end of the day, we need to figure out where we're going to implement that content, right? But also clients don't know how to write a good copy <laughs> for a website, or maybe we should hire a copywriter. Like who should provide that? So who should provide the content? This could go both ways too, depending on if we're talking about from the ground up or from a website that's already been designed and you're redesigning it. So I think in either case, look, web designers are going to have a hand in the content. There's no other way around it. Now, do you need to be a copywriting web designer? No. Is that going to be everyone's strong suit? No. I'm pretty good at copywriting now, but I'm much further along than where I was when I started. Like the words were the last thing I worried about when I designed sites in the beginning. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I've got it backwards. The words are like the most important thing. And yes, the design is important, but words sell. Words sell. So they're very, very important. So I would tell that to your clients too, to make sure they understand the value of copywriting. Now, it's funny, before we went live, we were just talking about all the tools available for us now to do like copywriting research. We were talking about chat uh, GPW or GPT. GPT, yeah. What does that have stand you tried for? It? I have uh, not. I, I, it's funny. I did ask chat GPT what the GPT stands for and I forgot, but it's something like generating out. I don't know, but something. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. We're going to. We're gonna we're gonna find out right now. But have you tried using it for any copy? I also heard. Well, now I have like too many thoughts, but I also heard that Google is going to. I mean, Google can recognize if something is coming from Jet GPT or not, and yes. sees it as spammy content. So I, what I said to you off 
off going live is what I'll say to everyone here live. And that is, I think AI and tools like chat GPT are a good starter points and good assistance, a good tool in the toolbox, but it will never replace humanness. You know, like we connect, like I can tell when something is AI typically, like it's, it's going to be a little stiff. It's going to be a little rigid. Whereas the human element is gone. By the way, GPT stands for generative pre-trained transformer. So Sounds okay, like something out of. Should have come up with a better name. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like something out of a sci-fi movie, but when it comes yeah, to copy, another. Sorry for interrupting. I just need to mention. I saw one powerful sentence the other day. It says, "AI will not replace you, but a person using AI will." In oh, a that's way, interesting. You can use yeah. it as a tool to help you, but we're still needed. That's a good point. I mean, it's basically like keyword research and SEO in your pocket kind of now. I mean, now I have a, I have an SEO guru expert where I rely on her for like extensive keyword research. That's a little more data driven, but tools like chat GPT, it's hard to say are valuable as assistants. And I do agree. Like people who do have that in their back pocket are going to be like 10 times more power. It's like somebody going to the library to find information as opposed to somebody with the internet, just zipping around and finding it. That's kind of how I would view this tool or any other AI tool for content. But either way, when it comes to like, who does this for a website, most web designers are going to be able to take what clients give you and refine it for SEO as you get further along. And then use tools like chat GPT for like more extensive stuff as again, a helper. However, if there is a brand that is Potentially, if there's like hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line, I think hiring a copywriter is very, very well worth it because they know how to pull research and how to like interview customers and clients. They'll be able to get a perspective that most everyone won't get. So it's it kind of I hate it depends answers, but it does depend on the project. Like I would start basic, take what clients give you, refine it. Let them know we need to make sure we refine this for the website. Also charge for that. So you're not charging writing services, but you're charging editing services. It's one thing that makes website builds that I teach like five, 10, $15,000 because you're doing more than just designing something pretty. You're helping them build a conversion machine. So yeah, that's the way I would go about it. But then definitely, unless it's a strong suit or an interest, I would hire that out. And yeah, I... As much as I'm not an AI guy, I definitely see the value of using it as a helper and as a tool to help. Yeah, definitely. And what helps me the most is because English is my second language. And now I can actually use that as I mean, I know it's so bad for all the people who do proofreading, (laughs) but I literally just put a sentence or paragraph, can you fix this? And usually I have a couple of mistakes that's, you know, either missing letter or something. And then, you know, I copy paste it back to my email and send it, you know, it does help. Uh, but English. it's not that I went to chat GPT and said like, oh, can you write me the whole email? Yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> English is my only language and I still have plenty of mistakes. So yeah, I think there's a lot of room for that. But a good lesson here I think we're hitting on is the importance of words for websites. Because yes, again, what I said earlier, words sell. That's why these like click funnel pages and a lot of these these funnel legion type of pages often look terrible, but some of these people are still making really good money online. It's because the words sell. They're they're hitting yeah. on something. Yeah, the design might not be great. Hierarchy is a mess. Color management and theory is all over the place, but there is something about words that some people can can overlook that. 
In fact, I mean, there's been, I had, I had a SEO guy for a little while who was kind of my partner for SEO, terrible designer, terrible designer, great with SEO and data and words and stuff though. And he designed a site that looked terrible for this company, but it worked. Whatever the, whatever you did with the words worked. And then they got it redesigned by somebody who was fresh, modern, looked really snappy and sleek and their conversions tanked. So they asked him to re-upload his old HTML site <laughs> because it just worked. So I don't want to yeah, devalue. Yeah, something simply better. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to devalue design because it's very important. However, yeah, words are really, really important. What other tips do you have for designers when they're working on the website, if they're trying to help their clients grow their business? So like converting tips. Yeah. In the case of designing sites for clients, I think the big thing that would separate most all web designers from everyone else is to be results focused. And you could take this in a lot of different ways, but what I've found is when you are talking to a potential client or on the words on your website, don't just talk about your design services and how they look so pretty and you know are good representations of their brand. Those are important. But if you talk about getting results for them and talk about their customers, your potential client is going to view you completely different than everybody else. So if, if you can have a results-oriented mindset, that's going to be way different. So practically, you might say like, okay, well, that's great. What, what does that mean? So like if I were on a sales call with somebody or just meeting somebody and said, I did web design and they were like, oh, our, our website is terrible. We're looking to do something new with it. I would probably say, I would 100% say, well, tell me about your customer. Like what are people using your website for? And then getting down to like, okay, now we can map out like a journey for your ideal customer on your website. How much does that customer pay you generally, like annually? Okay, if they're $1,000, then now uh, the value of your average customer is $1,000. If we can get this website to convert, let's say we charge 15,000 for it, it's gonna take 15 customers to pay off that website and then it'd be profit from there. So that is like literally how you can frame the mindset of a customer to understand the value of, of their web design services. I don't know if that answered your question exactly, but there was a big shift for me when I started talking results and, and you don't need to talk exact numbers with everybody. Cause some people do care about like to my students, uh, brand distilling their essence and stuff like that. Like you can kind of weave in different type of approaches with selling websites, but if you're going to convert, like more clients and get clients to the door, you got to talk about their business growth. Less about you, a yeah. lot more about them. A lot more listening, a lot more solutions and ideas rather than like me, 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 look what I can do, talking tools and tech. None, exactly. All that's going to be white noise. Yeah. Yes. The same is when I say to my students who are mostly like brand designers, when they say, oh, I'm going to provide four logo designs. No, you are an expert. You're providing one solution, one logo design. This is going to help them. And not, not just in a way, oh, it's going to help you. Your business is going to look nicer. No, it's going to attract more people because that is the end goal. Yeah. You know, right. so like they have to focus on the end goal goals that clients actually have it's not a better it's not a better looking website it's not a nicer colors no it's something that's going to attract people to their brand and then make people buy from their website or come to the store or whatever depending on uh, the client what you said right there katie is it the end goal like 
for years I sold web, which I did sell website designs this way. It does work. It's just a much harder way to get for those four hundred and eighty dollars. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, like under a thousand or two thousand dollar websites, people are going to go for that something pretty, but to get to the people who are serious and have a sustainable six figure web design business. The reason I say six figures is because that's what's generally going to be sustainable yes. for most everyone, at least America salary type living situation. So yeah, it's, it's basically just, let's get right to the end. Like what's the goal here? Like, instead of talking about using WordPress and what theme we use and the way we build it, like, let's just talk about your customers. What do you want people to do on your website? What do you want them? Like, do you want them to schedule a quote? Do you want them to buy something? And then you, you basically reverse it. Like you work backwards instead of I'm going to design a pretty site. We'll do a little bit of copy and hopefully that gets you some people through the door. It's now it's like, what's going to get people through the door. Okay. Now let's back up. Let's look at our sales pages. What's the call to action? What's the conversion stuff? Then we back out to the sitemap and the, all the pages, and then we get into the design style. What's going to work with this ideal customer. And now you got one heck of a plan to build like a $20,000 website. And somebody could comment on this episode and say, thanks, Katie and Josh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and when clients ask, can you guarantee what do you say to that? Great I mean, question. I, I do want to say that mm. when it comes to branding and like logo design, flyers, business cards, you know, brand strategy, it's a little bit harder to guarantee than with websites, but I would like to hear you first. Yeah. Guarantees are interesting because technically you can't guarantee any results. I mean, there, there's not too many industries that are guaranteed unless it's generally something a little like like a lower, like something that's a lower item, like a, a low pressure or low cost item where it's like your face will clear up in 30 days or, or here's a price back guarantee. So what I would say though, is they're like initiating and saying something about the goals of a project is a biggie. And what you could say is that, so for example, one good example of this is a site called Convertica dot org. I had their CEO on my podcast a while back and I asked him the same question. I was like, cause they guarantee people get better conversions on their site. I was like, how do you guarantee that? And he said, we guarantee at least 20%. And he's like, everyone we work with gets at least 20%. Some of them get 80s, 90% better conversions. So for them, it was like a very small margin they were guaranteeing. So that's one option is you could say, we guarantee we'll, we'll get you at least, you know, 10% more contact forms or whatever that would be. But I find that generally if you're talking about their customer and your goal and your true like care in your heart is to help them grow, then a guarantee could be a, a, as simple as like, we are going to work to at least get you your investment back with this website and 10x, 100x, 1000x more. So yeah, guarantees are kind of tricky in the web design world, quite honestly. I, I personally just wouldn't say I guarantee anything. I I mean, I don't know if you do this, but I have to do that. I can't guarantee that somebody's going to go through my courses and build a six-figure business. A lot of people do. A lot of people don't. People don't. But I, that's not on me necessarily. Like, this is what's worked for me. These are all the resources, but it is up to you. Similarly, it's like, it's up to the client. If they, the if you, like, this is a problem with guarantees. So it's, I'm glad we're talking about this. If you guarantee something, but then your client sends you something out of your control, like they send you terrible copy and terrible images, then that voids the guarantee. It's like, well, I, 
I guaranteed based off of my standards and what we know works, but uh, this is terrible. So it's probably not going to work. So, you know, that that's where like guarantees, I really wouldn't worry about them too much, but I would say like, have it as goals that replace guarantees with goals, like project goals. And, and, and I think that will, for the most part, or, I mean, it's what worked for me. So I would imagine it yeah, still yeah. work. Yeah. Yeah. The same. We do have clients who would ask us, you know, especially if we're trying to like value you know, value-based price them and all that. And then they're like, okay, but can you guarantee that we're going to sell whatever skincare products? And then I go from like, I start talking, start basically educating them on what marketing is and mm -hmm. how it's not everything about having this beautifully designed website that would work if you don't bring people to that website. So mm -hmm. I do talk then about, okay, so here are a few different components. Here are a few different things that your business growth depends on. One of the things is brand strategy. The next one is visual identity. The next one is the labels and packaging, websites, marketing. You could have the best design. You could have like the best website ever. But if nobody sees it, who cares? Like you're not yeah. going to make sales. So it doesn't depend on me. You still have to put effort after me <laughs> to post it on social media or hire someone to post it on social media. You still have to invest in your business. You have to figure out how to get into larger stores. If you want to be in Walgreens, that's not on me, <laughs> you know? It's, yeah, yeah. It's a good point. Like I, it seems like what you're hitting on is the different variables outside of the price. It's like, there are so many different variables, but what I would say is when you have a results-based mentality, like circle, a lot of people right now listening to this could go to their clients and just check in and say, hey, can we measure some of the website stuff? Let's look at contact form submissions, sales, how many consultations you booked, whatever, and pull some basic stats that you could put on your website that say, on average, our clients get like 50% more contact form submissions than they did previously. Or, you know, 10% more sales across whatever it is to get some of those metrics and put those at, they're basically like guarantee, like examples proof. So get some of those in place. It's, it's yeah, it might require a little bit of research, but it'll be so well worth it. And I also guarantee that will lead to more work because you circle back around with previous clients. They're like, Oh, Josh, it's good to see you again. Actually, we need some help on our website. And then or like, we oh have my, a friend who needs. Oh, they have a friend. They just now they remembered you. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about you. Yeah, my Jim. You know, Jim needs a new website. He just uh, mentioned it yesterday. Yeah, that's how it. That's how it works. That's how it exactly. works. Exactly. Yeah. That is the power of follow up too. And I talked about that in one of my podcast episodes. How powerful it is actually to follow up. You don't have to follow up with every single client you had in the past, but keep some like ideal ones like in mind, and reach out to them. Hey, how's everything going? You don't have to upsell anything. You don't have to offer like a different or new types of service, but just ask, how are you? Like you as a person, it doesn't matter. You're still building relationships with people. Yeah. And that's essentially, I don't know if this was a question you had for me, but one way I built a sustainable six-figure web design business was client retention. I stopped hustling after new clients and learned, oh my gosh, I've got like 60 some clients that have paid me between five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars often over the course of a year, they'll pay me for more services as long as I keep on adding value to them and coming back to them. So I started doing hosting and maintenance and offering ongoing services and did these like follow-up check-in calls. One thing I regret not doing is just basic email marketing. 
even for like 60 people. I wish I would have at least had something go out like every quarter or every month that just showed some recent projects and new services and maybe tips or trends that I've seen. That's what I would do just for basic email marketing, but it's it just staying top of mind with your current clients or past clients. Yeah, so it's not something that you have to do it, you know, as some coaches would send emails like every day. So nothing like that. No. It's just reminding them like, hey, I'm here. It's been yep. four months. Hey, I'm here. It's been three weeks, but this is very cool information I want to share. <laughs> I guarantee a quarterly email. If all web designers did a quarterly email and you could do this, however you like, whatever you want to put in there, trends, tips you've learned, success stories, whatever, or personal note. Hey, we had a baby, you know, like we just, we just recently had a baby. I would say, Hey, welcome, our little dude, welcome to the family. My newest, you know, our HR guy, whatever you could do this once a quarter. And I guarantee your boost, your, your business would boost big time. So take my guarantee yeah. to the bank. Let's try it out. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do have um, Brian, Brian, our realtor. I mean, he helped us buy this house and every single, uh, like around the holidays, like every single year, he would send a Starbucks card. Hey, Brian, just thinking about you or whatever. He would send us popcorn. He would just like random things. Yeah. And he's constantly at the top of my mind. It's even like the other day when we wanted to do something in our backyard. I'm like, oh, who's going to know better than he? And then he has the network and he can send referrals, you know, like connections that we can use those people. And not just that, but then when my friends mentioned that they're they, they're looking into maybe buying a house. I'm like, oh, I have the guy. Yeah. He just sends me a Starbucks card. <laughs> yep. Top of mind. Yeah. That's like Realtor 101, which yeah, web designers could take a lot from that. But I will say one thing that's better than just like the Christmas, like, hey, happy holidays. If you need us, let us know, is to come into those times when most people aren't doing that. And I think that's where like the every quarter thing is really beneficial. It's like, you, you'll likely get lost in the muddle of emails at Christmas time. But if you come in in like February, when no one does anything like that, just watch, you'll get way better open rates. And, uh, or one thing I would say is don't overcomplicate it. Like you don't even need to have like convert kit or active campaign or something. If you have like a dozen clients, just reach out to them one by one. It may take a couple hours, send them a little video, but make it personal. You'll go so much further with your time with reaching back to, to clients and getting into like, because then you're like viewed as a strategist or a consultant over just their web designer. I firmly believe there's a resurgence in the, it's not going to be called webmaster, but there's a big resurgence with businesses needing a webmaster. Just like with your realtor, he's the guy that probably knows a lot Everyone here, you could be the guy or you could be the gal who knows a lot for your clients in the online world. And even if it's not everything you do, you could probably help them partner up with somebody and you are going to be, they're never going to leave you. They'll be a client for life. So, so yes. much opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Well, Josh, thank you so much for being here on the Profitable Graphic Designer podcast. It's been almost an hour <laughs> or it's, an hour. It's, it's gone quick. Hour. I know. I feel like we just scratched <laughs> exactly. the surface. But. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? And if not, and even if you, you do have uh, more things you want to talk about, we definitely can, but please let us know where our listeners can find you. Tell us your website, social media, and everything else you want them to know. Yeah, my website is joshhall.co. So you can go there and get connected to anything else you want to go on. I'm active on Instagram and Facebook right now, currently. 
So all the bandwidth I have time for, but I do recommend since I'm on a podcast with you, definitely everyone check out your episode on my show. It's episode 235 of the web design business podcast. I actually legit think that would be a great follow-up to this conversation because we get into a little more of the weeds on some of the stuff we talked about here today. So I do recommend that. And of course, yeah, my podcast is a, is hopefully a really good resource for everybody. Actually, I think both of our podcasts marry very well together with helping people yes. In the, in the online design world. Yeah, well, again, thank you so much. No problem. Can I give you a final thought? Yes, of course. I, I, will, I will give a final thought, particularly for those who feel like they're kind of like going it alone as a designer or, or web designer. I do want to say there's a reason why the worst punishment in prison is solitary confinement. And that's because you cannot thrive by yourself. So I would just encourage everybody, no matter what tools you use, no matter where you are to find and join a community of like-minded designers. There's more options than ever for that. There's paid programs, there's free Facebook groups, but there's like, for example, I have a Divi web designers Facebook group that I started specifically for that. Like find a community of like-minded people and surround yourself with people who are going to help you because yeah, there's, there's one surefire way to, to, to burn out and to call it quits in this industry. And that's doing it alone. So I love that. Would be that. My final You're so right. Point. You're yeah. so right. And you do have your own paid community, right? I do. Yeah. At the time of this releasing, I'll have just rebranded it. So you're doing a training in that. It was formerly my web design club, but I'm actually now calling it Web Designer Pro TM. It's officially trademarked now. May or may not have spent $5,000 on that domain name, but that's neither here nor <laughs> there. I got the domain name. So yeah, it's called Web Designer Pro. I'm really, really excited about it. It's kind of the next evolution of this online community of web designers that's uh, full of all my courses, training material, and there's community and coaching involved with it too. So yeah, I'm really, really excited about that. And yeah, you'll be in uh, in March of 2023 here to to do a monthly training for us. So yeah. Yes, and I'll be talking about niching. So whoever is interested, go to Josh's website and find more information about it. And yeah, thank you, Josh, again. And um, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Katie. Thank you for joining us today on the Profitable Graphic Designer Podcast. If you're ready to scale your business into a profitable, simple, and sustainable design agency, as well as get your time back, then I invite you to join The Creative CEO. The Creative CEO is a high-touch coaching and mastermind experience for brand and web designers who are ready to constantly book high-ticket clients and get to six figures and beyond without the overwhelm. Visit aventiveacademy.com mastermind for more information.